Jason, as it is every single week, Lee Summit Town Hall is brought to the fine people of Lee Summit by Budget Blinds. Budget Blinds! Hey, I don't know, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but they're doing some stuff to support the community. I, I am, I am for one, shocked that there is nice things going on in this Budget Blinds establishment. I know. They're good people. All this month, leading up to the fourth Friday event in downtown, they are supporting KC Pet Project. Matter of fact, you know what they're going to call it? What are they going to call it? Lisa Summit Fourth Fridays. Art for a pause. Art for a pause. It's a, it's a, that's a dad-level joke. That is. I, I actually changed into my dad jeans just to make that joke. Just to make that joke. Right, right. So, hey. That event is going to happen at the Budget Blinds location on Southeast Main Street in downtown Lee Summit. They're going to have an artist, Ashley Corbello, specializes in pet portraits. And if you haven't seen them, they're really, really, really good. There's a great one she did of the uh, the owner's family of their dog. Bert. Of their dog. Well, you know. Oh, Bert, it's a good one. I, oh, I thought Jim was the pet for the no, family. Okay. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you might have seen her work before, too. It's been at the Westport and Summit Art Festivals before. There's going to be T-shirts from Mission Driven Goods, drinks provided by the fine people at the W Speakeasy Bar here. In you Canada, now have Summit. my attention, sir. There we go. They're accepting donations for KC Pet Project. If you want to see a list of needed items. Because they always need stuff. They always need stuff. So if you're, if you're curious as to what you donate to this kind of thing, head to kcpetproject.org. I mean, and whatever all those on the list. And don't forget the also always welcome cash money. Cash. People like cash. And speaking of cash, all this month. One dollar per blind purchased in the month of June goes to KC Pet Project. So you are, if you are anywhere in the neighborhood of thinking about purchasing blinds for your home, upgrading either technologically, stylistically, or just you know maybe putting blinds on the window for the very first time, now's the time to do it. Because not only will you get high-quality blinds from real, live, nice folks and experts, but you're going to do a little good on the side. It's time, Jason, for you to replace the sheet with real blinds look college days will never end <laughs> hey go see our good friends at budget blinds of lee summit tell them jason next hang it hello and welcome to this friday edition of lee summit town hall today my guest is fellow business owner liesel hayes liesel thanks for coming on the show today well nick thanks for having me i really appreciate it well, you know, we've gotten to know each other over the last year or so. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say year or two, maybe. Um, you are writing a book, and that's kind of why I asked you on here. A, I, I, I'm jealous because making myself sit down to write that many pages seems like a lot of effort. Um, so I'm going to live vicariously through you. But then your book has a a weird title to me, and it's uh, it's a play on words. I love words, and, and really, I, I only have one question. It's the whole reason you're here. Your book is titled Change Deviance. Yes. When I hear the word deviant, mm. I don't think nice, businessy, no. life-changing things. Uh, so I'm curious, why? Why is that title? What does it mean? What the heck are you doing? That is a super great question. And actually, so when we think about deviance, I think we immediately go to negative behavior, right? So ultimately, well, I say yeah, negative, I mean, but, but we know. do, but we do. Like we think about. 
we think about negative behavior when we think about deviance. But actually, so there's this concept in psychology, and you probably remember it from like your psych 101 class, but it's all about look, positive. Look, look, Do you remember let's, it? Let's Do you be, remember uh, let's it? be honest. There's not a lot of, quote, class things that I remember from college. Okay. Well, you know what? Nick, we're kind of on the same page, but let me tell you, I do remember Psychology 101 in Butick Hall in Kansas University. We had a thousand people in no, that wait, class. You're KU. I went to K State too, though, so okay. it's okay. We oh, can, that, yeah. That may have cleansed well, your that soul. Well, that cleansed my soul, yeah. yes. Okay, so, we're good. so, yes, freshman year, Psychology 101, Butick Hall, and we are learning about the concept of positive deviance. And so positive deviance is essentially that there are individuals in a community who are adopting positive behaviors that the rest of the subset of the population is not. And so the concept there is that in change in the world of change influence, we often study positive deviance because they are individuals that have adopted a positive behavior in an environment. And then essentially they, they're like a positive deviant. And so that's where change deviance came from, all from that psychological principle. I, I, I like that. And, and while I, um, Tend to always be a little snarky and yeah, negative and sarcastic. I mean that's that that's that's me, but I like that because I feel like all of us have gone that direction, mm-hmm. where our jokes are sarcastic, snarky comments now, and we all try to be witty with that, right? But it's hard to find and to look at people who who are actively choosing positive things, right? Absolutely. So, so all of the things you just said, my cynicism meter went way off the charts, right? Because that's right. what I do. Right. That's my instant reaction. So, so I, I, I kind of like the fact that that okay, you're gonna go. You're you're talking about seeking out the people who are adopting a positive change, a Absolutely. positive attitude, and which uh, sounds so cheesy. Even saying it myself, I want to make fun of myself. You right know now. what, you Nick, but, you can make fun of it all you want if it makes you feel better. <laughs> But I no, but I like that. I think, and I think that's a that is a hard thing to tell yourself to seek out. It is because I think oftentimes we look at negative behaviors and what we shouldn't do, right? But ultimately, there are catalysts for change in every community, and I think the whole principle behind change deviance is that there's a small subset of individuals who adopt change at an alarmingly fast rate in comparison to the rest of us. But here's the critical piece, Nick, that I always tell people because people are like, well, why would I want to learn from people who just naturally do it, right? The reality is, is that I, as I have conversations with these individuals, they, it's a skill that they have developed over time. And so while change has become almost second nature to them now, it didn't start that way. It started with them adopting small, seemingly insignificant behaviors. Are you finding that those were, um, again, I want to go back to yeah, go back. that. That was, go that back. was, was that an active choice on their part in the beginning to make mm-hmm. those small little things? Or is that just, was that a pretty natural progression for no, them? That's a really great question. So one of the things that I will tell you is that when I interview some of these people, they don't realize it's so natural to them now they don't realize that in the beginning they made small choices. And so a lot of the times I direct them towards that where I'm like, it's second nature to you now, but what was it like when you first started embracing change? 
in your life. And they would go back and they'd say, okay, well, I had to accept that change is necessary for growth. So when things got hard, I would tell myself that change is necessary for me to move to the next phase of my life that I want for myself. And so it's interesting to start to peel back the onion and figure out what are the things that these individuals started doing early on when they wanted to pursue meaningful life changes. So, so tell me a little bit, who are the, I mean, I think it'd be good for people to know, who are the people that you're talking to? I mean, sure. these are, these are, a lot of them are kind of Kansas City area people. Yes. So who are, who are you talking to right now? Sure. So right now I'm really focusing on the Neil Patterson chapter. So Neil Patterson um, was the former CEO of Cerner Corporation. And I know for us Kansas City people, a lot of people know who, who Neil is. Um, and he actually passed away a couple of years ago. But one of the things that Neil did exceptionally well and I would say is his legacy that he left that company was he embraced change at an alarmingly fast rate. And he also pushed Cerner to do the same thing. So there was a culture of change that he really created within that organization and people adopted behaviors because they knew, um, Neil used to say it this way, um, if we didn't change as a company, we would eventually become fish food. And what he meant by that was he knew that if we didn't describe our vivid description of future state and where the healthcare industry was going, that if we didn't change and move in that direction every single day, then we would eventually become totally and completely irrelevant. So Neil is one of the people that I am really focusing on now. I've interviewed over 10 people who knew him in a different capacity. And I did that very intentionally. I wanted it to be people who some of them got along with Neil and some of them didn't. Some of them are family members. Some of them are people that he worked with. And so the goal there was to get a robust understanding of who Neil was as a person and how he embraced change so normally so uh, in this book are you thinking it's going to be some some almost verbal portraits of different people absolutely so there's also another individual um his name is chamath Palihapitiya. try and say that really three times gonna. really fast no? no no it took me forever to learn how to pronounce his name by the way so he at one point was the ceo of a company called social capital and he really wanted to take venture capitalism and really turn it upside down on its head. But he actually recently went through a significant midlife crisis where he woke up one day and he talks about it. He's like, I woke up one day and I realized that I was living somebody else's life. And ultimately, he made some very significant changes in his life. Um, that really led him to the place that he's in of just contentment and happiness right now. But it took kind of him waking up one day and realizing that the bulk of his life was spent living for other people. So he's another person that's going to be featured and is an extremely interesting individual. And we have a lot to learn from him. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb here. And, and as you and I have gotten to know each other, that part of it, what you just said there, seems like that's a very personal thing to you. And you and I both can, can relate in that and that, you know, we've gone through some 
some career changing, life changing moments over the last few years together. And we've shared, we've shared that, but I want to, is that part of why you started doing that book is that, that, that you have, you know, you were, you were a, a, a corporate management person and you walked away mm-hmm. and you said, I'm going to jump off a bridge and start a weird business. Yeah. <laughs> um, you own a bed and breakfast here yes. in Lee Summit, the Browning. Um, you, you do consulting work on the side as, as well still, but so you went through that point too, where you didn't like the life you were living mm-hmm. professionally, which yeah. which we all know affects our personal lives as well. Um, is, so is this book kind of a reflection of 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 what you've been going through? So I think that that's a really fair question. And the answer is yes. Like this has been the journey that I've been on the last three years. And so for me, and I'm, I'm really open and honest about this because I feel like it gives other people permission to be honest about it. So I reached a place in my life about three years ago where I had a very, very much like that Chamath moment where he woke up and he realized that he had been living someone else's life. And what I mean by that is that I followed all of the rules that I was supposed to follow. Um, I got married when I was 25. I had two children um, by the time I was 28. And I started working the corporate job and steadily climbing that ladder. And I followed all of the rules, right? And not to say that people don't find happiness in those things, because I want you to hear me say that I still I find happiness in those things, but I never really stopped and reflected on, am I doing these things because it's what society has told me is the right way to reach this destination in point of happiness? Or am I doing this because it makes Liesl feel alive? Isn't that kind of the, and, and I don't want to be sweeping cliche generalization no. guy here, but that seems... Isn't that the generational question we're having right now, kind of as a, a, as a culture, is the that we've spent 50, 60 years as a society saying, you go to high school, you go to college, you go to business, this is what you do. If you are from, if you are from the middle class and, and higher world in America, that's what you do. Yeah. If you are, if you struggle in school, if you don't have money in your family. You go to military service or you go to a trade. That's that. But I think we're finding now that that's different. Maybe the American dream isn't straight from high school to college to marriage to job to whatever. Right. Right. That path can be different and maybe should be for a lot of people. Absolutely. And I mean, how many people do we know from our generation? And yes. we're, we're similar in age. Yes, we are. Um, that have degrees. And do not use those degrees in the career that they so have. So many, right? I mean, my brother is, I don't even know what, what he does, actually. He's kind of like, if you remember Friends, he's the Chandler. Oh, like, right? yeah. He's the funny guy. Yeah, I'm the funny one. Come on. Okay, sorry, Nick. My bad. But, my but bad. We don't know what he does. Something in finance and technology. Basically a CFO type, right? His degree is in music management. His degree was to manage symphonies. Yeah. I mean, and think about... All the formative years that we spend and like, it's like there's this prescribed path. And I'm not saying that people don't find happiness in that path. But I think we have to allow the conversation to be able to say, this is not everybody's path and we're okay with that. And for me, the change deviant concept came with me being able to say, let's talk about that hard conversation 
about looking at our lives and saying, what are the things that we want for our lives? How do we reflect on that? How do we spend time creating a vivid description of what that looks like? And then how do we get there, right? But the reality is, is that most of us never change. We never we never reach our goals or go for the things that really matter to us because society has kind of molded us into this is the path and the structure and we all need to take this path, right? And if we don't, we're almost seen as weird, right? Or we get or messages that are reinforced to us to stay safe and to continue on the path. Right. Right? Don't, don't be the artist because they can't make money. Go be the doctor. Right. Go be the attorney because that will make money. Yes. And then you can have the life that you should have. Absolutely. So so answer. do you mind? Will you? I'm going to put you on the spot. No. What was that moment for you? What Was it one singular moment? Was, was it a buildup of things? What was that what was that catalyst that said this isn't this isn't the life that's going to make me happy and so that's in, going to bring joy? Yeah, <laughs> that's no, bring you no, joy. no, no. I think it's right. It's I mean, good, to you though. and your family. Yeah, and like I think it's interesting because for me it was almost a breakdown of self, and I know that's a really like breakdown is such a word that we it's it's so negative, right? But at the end of the day. I'm working in corporate America. I have this amazing job. I'm working with an incredible team of people. I have a great family. And ultimately, I'm still unhappy. And for me, that was a warning. Like, there are all these warning signs, right? And the first one is, like, just, we all know that happiness is, there's a destiny. It's not a destination. It's a journey, right? But for me, I used to just dread going to work every day. Exactly. I would dread it. And it wasn't because anyone at Cerner wasn't incredible and amazing and I didn't have a great team. So it it's nothing along the lines of that culture. But for me personally, dread is one of the biggest warning signs that you're living somebody else's life. When 80% of the time you're dreading what you do. The other thing for me was the inability to be present. And I use this one. This one will. I like that description. Yeah. The inability to be present. Mm -hmm. And what I really mean by that is you and I having a conversation. I'm not here. I'm thinking about my to-do list. I'm off in another place dreaming about what my life could be like if I wasn't sitting here in this meeting. And we, that's a normal thing for all of us to do at some point. We're not all present in every conversation that we're in. But when you have a hard time being present in the majority of your life interactions at work with the people that you love, like that's a warning sign that you may be living somebody else's life. Right. We spend we spend the majority of our lives in our profession or whatever our career of choice is or or I guess maybe career of choice is not the right word. If right. not all of us really, you know, some of us just that's where we end up. Right. Um, I, I was very similar in that for me, one of the last meetings I sat in, one of the, one of the principals, one of the executives looked at me and said, are you, do you enjoy your job anymore? And I couldn't lie. Yeah. I remember you I mean, telling I me that story. It's a great that. story. Yeah. And that was a bit of a wake up call. Uh, but I will tell you this, I really didn't understand 
the power of moving on until probably six or eight months after we had parted ways. Right. And that is when I realized I'm not angry this morning. Hmm. I'm not going to work thinking about who I'm going to fight with, yeah. who I want to yell at, or why is this person going to make me angry? Like I was already angry. Right. Like like pre-gaming myself. Yeah, no. It's <laughs> and like it you took would... a while for me to, to really understand it, that, that I can make choices that allow me to define myself, allow me to define what it is I want to do and how I'm going to do it, and that's okay. That I don't have to just go do this thing because of the really nice paycheck they give me. See, but you just hit a really critical point there because here's what I think about. We play it safe our whole lives because that's the story, that's the message that we're given, right? And ultimately, we follow this predetermined destination that like, ends up sometimes making us unhappy. But the reality is, is that you have the choice But I feel like often we don't believe we have the choice. And that is one of the barriers to change, right? It's, well, I have to pay the bills. I have to do this thing. Like I have to go to work every day um, to a job I'm unhappy in. But I have to do it. Like it's just part of life. And everyone else hates their job, so it's fine, right? Right. And we just – we kind of pacify the warning signs that we're not happy and that we're not fulfilled. And and what we do is we just use other people as an example. Like, well, you know, Bill down the street feels the same way, right? He's he's not happy every day either. And it's it's a balance, right? I always think that's a critical piece too. Like not there are days where we're not gonna love what we do, but when it's the majority of our lives where we're like 80% of my interactions are are not filling my cup, like what's the point, right? Right. Right, and I think you know there are there are people who th- are satisfied and happy with with a cubicle life. Absolutely, or a, and I'm going to use my brother as an example again because he and I have had kind of these similar conversations, and he is a, I I cannot understand him, and he cannot understand me. He is perfectly happy with a job where I am trading time in my life for money. Yes, and that works for him. Absolutely, that works for him, and he he is happy. He does things that make him and his family happy. I can't I can't do that. We've talked about it because he's always like, "Why did you go do this thing? You could make a lot more money." And I'm like, I, "But I I I can't. I I can't. I would not be happy doing that thing." And and you're right. There are times when when I'm I, I still get stressed. I still have hard days. Sure, but, absolutely. But most of the time, I'm going to tell you. I mean, really. Let's be, let's be honest. I'm a loudmouth with a mic, so right. I, I kind of get to hey, have fun it, every day. Hey, you do get to have fun every you day. Know, this and, is and, like the best job ever. And, and I get to meet cool people and yes. and like like you and just hey, tell me your story. Right. I mean, that's for me. That's a lot of fun. And you know, someday I might figure out how to get paychecks for it. Yeah. I mean, maybe. But you know what? Here's you also hit the nail on the head of something that's really important. It's figuring out what you want for your life and what change deviants do is they create a vivid description of future state that they have in front of them of this this is what I value, this is my why. And oftentimes that exercise, like it sounds really basic, right? That sounds really basic. But it's so important that we have the ability to reflect and say, what are the things I value? 
what makes me come alive and what's my calling in life and that and do that outside of the work like we oftentimes define our lives by the work right but we have to step back and be able to say what makes me come alive and that's an okay question and for your brother that's fantastic that he feels alive being in a cubicle environment. There's nothing wrong with corporate America, right? But you have to figure out what's right for you as an individual and pursue that life. Yeah, I think some people, there's a different, it's okay for some people. Like, I like kind of being defined by what I do because I mean, what I do is fun for me. Right. I mean, I, I, this is entertainment. I get to play with technology, which I love, which is fun. But there are some people who who they don't want to be defined what they do. They 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 are okay with you know from eight to five I do this thing and then the thing that defines me is what happens after that in between. Right. And that's different. I I want to go to you just said earlier you said you had two different things in your statement where you talked about visualizing the future state having a goal, but then you also talked about having figuring out your why are both equally important? Hmm. I think that your why is the most critical piece to figure out because oftentimes when I work with people in the coaching environment, I'll ask them the question of what do you want to do? And they don't even know because they don't know their why. And I think that change deviance, and I don't just think this, I know this, like every change deviant knows what their why is they know why they get up every day and for for some of us that is as simple as so let me tell you what my why is so my why is everything that i do i want to care for people and i want to make them a better version of themselves every single career i have ever had has pointed back to that why And if that why isn't being fulfilled in my work life, in my personal life, I'm unhappy. And that doesn't mean I get to to fulfill my why all the time. Like sometimes I just have to go and clean the browning, right? Like sometimes that's life. But at the end of the day, like I need to be able to connect back to the broader purpose of why I get up every day, right? And every change deviant I've interviewed, they know why they get up every day. And that is so important for us when stuff gets hard to be able to connect to that why. What are you at? Well, actually, let me, let me, let me rewind. I want, I want to ask a qu- another question first. Do you consider yourself a change deviant? It's yes, I think that I considered myself more of a change deviant. And then I started interviewing these like mega change deviants. And when I say that, I mean, people who are just super skilled at embracing change and and doing the things that really matter for their lives that I learn so much from them. Um, I think that I told you this the other day, but I had a little bit of the hardest thing about writing a self-help book is that when I learn things, I have to put them into practice, and it hurts. <laughs> well, look, look, look it let's hurts. Really like, change is hard. Change is hard, and like I think I'm so great at it. But then, okay, for instance, let me give you an example of the other day. I'm going through these interviews, and I have my headset on, and when I 
when I go into my like qualitative analysis mode, I just listen to people over and over and over again. And I have all these crazy mind maps of how I like map data and where they belong. And the other day, you have a totally different brain than me. I'm so weird. <laughs> I'm such a weirdo. Like I know I'm a weirdo. Um, but I had this moment the other day where I started to see this theme in the data, which just kind of it kind of brought me down. I don't know the right word. It hit me really hard, and I knew I needed to do something about it. And the theme was this. The theme was that not only do change deviants have a vision for the change that they want in their lives, and that drives them towards that change. But they also align their priorities to get to that end state. And for me, like that, that was hard to hear because I just, I like to do all the things. Like I define myself based on being able to clean the browning and cook at the browning and do HR consulting and write a book. And like my whole life is usually just overscheduled and overplanned. And I usually get to the place where I'm just like half of a person. And I do that to myself, right? And the hardest thing for me was realizing that I was doing it wrong. Yeah, I, I, I want to say the the and I've, and I've not used the phrase, but the, the, the change deviants that I know, the, the people in business life that I really respect, that I, I would I like to kind of hope that someday I can emulate, have an ability to really hyper-focus. Yes. That is uncanny. Right. And it's, it's a foreign language to me. Yeah. Like, okay, so one of the people I was interviewing about Neil the other day said this. Neil just never got stuck in the windshield. I like that. And I was like, "Real, like, explain that to me. And the person I was interviewing just said, at the end of the day, Neil knew the direction that the company needed to go, or he knew the direction that his life needed to go. And so everything else was just white noise. And sometimes that meant that he didn't answer emails of stuff that he thought other people could figure out. He aligned his priorities to where he wanted to go. And that was, I mean, I live in the windshield on some days. We all do it, right? It's like, and our phones are the worst part about it. Like, we're constantly accessible. An email pops up and we think we have to respond to it immediately. Furthermore, we also have a culture that says, you have to respond to me within eight hours. Right. We, we've, we've created this kind of rule of courtesy. Yes. You know, can I, can I tell a secret? Yeah, tell me a secret. Let's I want to hear let's it. Let's not tell the rest of the people this. Okay, we won't tell anyone. I rarely ever answer an email from my phone. That's unless great. Unless I feel like it needs to be. If it's something I need to respond to, I will. But I I, I leave I leave it marked unread. I think that's great. And I wait until I'm at, at my laptop or my iPad, you know, where I'm sitting down and I can focus on on, on what it is. But also just because, you know. Sometimes I'm on a walk with the wife. Yeah. And you should, and it's, you're giving yourself permission and you're setting a boundary. And I think especially in this like hyper digital world where we are constantly accessible, there's an expectation. I mean, I have people who reach out about the Browning and and like if I haven't responded to them within a couple hours, they'll call or they'll show up on site or whatever it is. And for me, it's, I have to focus on what matters now. Like I have to focus on the most important thing. And it's really hard to do that in this 
in this world, but we do it with our lives too, even on the, uh, like a macro level. So let's go back to the example of like the vision you have for your life. So the next click for me in the change world is that I, I want to move to be an author. I want to move into being a speaker. I want to increase my HR consulting business. And part of that, it doesn't mean letting go of the browning. The browning's still going to be a thing, right? Does that still make you happy? Do you like running the browning? I do like running the browning. I don't like the day-to-day operations and the grind. But the reality is, is that smart entrepreneurs don't do everything in the day-to-day. Like it's not feasible for them to do it. And I learned that the hard way. That is a tough lesson. Again, that's something where I watch the people I emulate and, 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 and you're in that group. That's a foreign language to me. Yeah. To not get mired in the grind and to know when it's time to have somebody else help. And it's, it's I don't, hard. I don't like to ask people to come in and help. Okay, tell me a little bit more about that. Why? I like control. I also have a. Um, I, I'll be, we'll be honest here. This is this is no. A keep we're it being real, honest. This is keep it real show. I mean, I'm pretty sure I just told you I, I had a, a breakdown three years ago. Yeah, so we're I don't good. want. We're good. I don't want to let someone in and then have them come in and see where I did it wrong. Mm. Yeah. That that's hard. I get it. And especially because what I'm doing is so not my personality. Until I was in a position where I kind of had to, I never would have taken the leap off the cliff to do my own business stuff. I mean, that just that never appealed to me until it came to a time where I was like, oh, I can do this. Let's try it. This is all so new in my world. So, yeah, it's, it's really hard. And I also, again, it goes back to I like control. I mean, I could yeah. never be my wife. I could never be a teacher. Um, because my way of teaching is get out of the way and let me do it because you're going to do it wrong. Um, that doesn't that doesn't make for good educators. No, no, um, but I understand that. But yeah, that's that's really hard for me to say, come in and do this thing. Right. Especially when it's when it's I, I don't know maybe not every entrepreneur is like that, but it's I'm doing things that I love. Like this is this is this is my thing. Right. I don't know when I I don't know when to say I'm ready to have someone else come and do the thing. I totally get that. And I so what really and this was the thing that kind of just oh, it was tough these past 2 weeks because I'm exactly like you in that sense. I like the browning to be a certain way. I want people to have a great experience there and part of that is cleanliness. Part of it is creating an environment that people walk into and they want a vacation there, right? But ultimately, I've been doing this work for so long, and it's not work that someone else can't come in and co-create with me. And that was a really big flip for me. So one of my good friends said to me at one point, you look at delegation as a negative thing. You look at it as you're giving up control. You can't do all the things. And you need to flip that word, and you need to basically change it to co-create. You are not inviting people to co-create in your space and make it even better. And if you're going to be a successful entrepreneur, like nobody wants to buy a business eventually where you're doing all the work. Nobody wants to buy a job. 
right? And that was a really good. And then furthermore, I went back to my my vision, my why for what I want for the next phase of my life, which is to be an author, to be a coach, to be to increase my HR consulting business. And I realized if I'm over here cleaning at the browning, how the heck is that aligning to the change that I want for my life? And change deviants just they just don't get stuck in the windshield. They prioritize the stuff that matters and they make it happen, right? Why is that so hard? I, yeah, I, that's interesting. And I'm, I'm almost at a little bit of a loss. I like the flip on the, the, the co-create instead of delegate. That's, that's, that's just, that's, again, that's almost a foreign language to me. No, it is. And you know what's crazy? Sometimes, like the other day I walked into the Browning, I've literally had staff people for maybe two weeks after this revelation. Because I decided that if I'm going to write a self-help book, that I have to do the work too. Um, because that's the only way that it's going to be meaningful. So I'm doing the work before I get it out there. Well, let's talk about, you said self-help. It's a self-help book. Mm-hmm. Have you earned or learned some lessons based on the interviews and the things you're doing? Is there is there some self-self-help coming out of writing this? Absolutely. And I think that I started writing about a topic that I felt like I was an expert on. And as I started to talk to people who, as I started to talk to Change Deviants, it made me realize that I'm not as good at this as I thought I was. So, I mean, it kind of circles back to your original question. You're like, are you a Change Deviant? And the answer is, I thought I was, but I'm a Change Deviant in training. I'm still a Change Deviant in training. I'm not an expert. Don't have my 10,000 hours under my belt, I guess. You're an intern? I'm an intern. Yeah. I mean, it made me realize that I actually am an intern. It's all relative, right? You start to talk to people who this just is. Like you talk to Cliff Illig and it's just like natural for him. Like he's like, well, yeah, of course. I prioritize the stuff that that matters. Like that's a simple thing. He doesn't really think about it. But for those of us back here who are in training, part of the book is figuring out where you're at and customizing behaviors that are personal to you. And that's a big that's a big piece because I think oftentimes we look at like self-help books and there's all these great models and just follow this process and the reality is is that if we don't know ourselves and baseline where we're at we can't customize behaviors that are going to work for us, right? I I'm going to go back to uh Again, I'm I'm, no I'm cynical and sarcastic no, I like by, it. By, I like it. by nature, and so I I don't know that this question is going to be speaking for everyone else because I don't think I don't think the rest of the world is as big a jerk as I am. Self help books are difficult for me. Okay, tell me more. Because putting that into action is hard. It doesn't seem realistic to me. Like, okay, here's some things to do and some plans, but how does that fit into what the real world is? So so my my question is, is you just talked about realizing where you're at. How, where where are you and how are you now how are you now figuring out a way to change how you prioritize? Because you said that's you know these people you're interviewing are like this is this is what I do. I prioritize this way and I think it gets into that hyper focus thing that we, we talked about earlier. So so where are you now and how are you in real life adjusting priorities or learning to adjust priorities? Absolutely. And so one of the things that's a little bit unique about Change Deviance, the book, 
is that every single, so we codify behaviors essentially that are really important when embracing life changes, right? But ultimately, you're going to assess where you are in relationship to those behaviors. And then, so let's let's give an example because I feel like that's easier. Let's go back to our example of the challenge of delegation and aligning. So aligning our priorities to the change that we want for our lives, right? So sometimes that means that we have to quit things. Sometimes it means that we have to delegate things that are not getting us to the change that we want. So let's use the Browning as a great example. I want to be an author. I want to be a speaker. I want to be a coach. And cleaning the Browning is not getting me to that place. So maybe people would look at me and say, well, wow, Liesl, I mean, you literally just went and hired a couple of staff people. So obviously it wasn't that hard for you to do. But the reality is, is that the last three years, I've had to get to the place of doing that challenging work, right? To feel like I needed to change something. But if we if we were working with you and you were going through the workbook, so every single behavior has a workbook section that's specific to Nick Parker. Not specific to just Nick Parker, but as you're going yeah, look, through it, look, like that would be a long. It would be a really a, a God. Lot, it'd be such a long book. A lot of of analysis from from people that I can't afford. Yeah, but here's what it would be. So we talk about delegation, right? And your challenges with that. It's not going to start with you hiring someone, right? Because that just like if that was a recommendation, you'd be like, okay, not doing that, right? But it starts with how do I delegate one thing that isn't aligning to the vision for of change that I want for my life. Just one thing. Let's just start this week and do one thing. So the goal is we're identifying behaviors. Then you assess yourself on relationship to where you are with those behaviors. And then we create a customized plan that's specific to you. The workbook will help you do that. So, okay, I want to flip it, though. Tell me, tell me, tell us, all of these wonderful listeners, where are you? What do you mean? So, so in your assessment of becoming this change deviant, of doing these things that you want to do, not only changing yourself, but but I think you want to you want to make some changes broader. You want to help people do that. So, where are you in that process? How do you assess yourself? No, I think it's a fair question, and honestly, part of that has become me having conversations with individuals who basically embrace change at an alarmingly fast rate. So it's codifying those behaviors is where I'm at right now in the book. It's figuring out what they are. So one of them is, we already talked about this one. They have a why for change. They understand the change they want and they align their priorities accordingly. So that's one, right? One of the other things that I'm seeing is that change deviants are also constant learners. So they have the ability to pull in information from a variety of different places to help them navigate the change that they want for their lives. So there are behaviors that I'm starting to uncover and see in these conversations. And what you're hearing me say is that as I'm discovering those, I'm individually assessing myself at this point in time so we can get to a place where you can do that as well, right? Right, yeah. I think that, that sounds like a huge goal. It is. It feels a little I, I, overwhelming. I'm going to learn about myself, deep learning about myself, so that then I can turn that around and, and give someone the same lesson. Uh, that's that's a heavy goal. 
Yes. Am I crazy? Just a little bit. We're all of us entrepreneurs are like a little bit crazy, right? We're all a little Uh, bit crazy. But but no, I, I, I. That is a worthy goal. That is a worthy goal. I think. To to learn about yourself so that you can help others. Yes. I, I don't know that there's a better goal. Hmm. And I don't know that you can help others until you've learned yourself. I think you're right. I think I think that's – that's to be genuine, I think that's almost impossible to do. I think people can do it, but I think you hit a level of authenticity and and, and genuineness. Is that a word? I'm gonna, mm, I, make I think up, it's a word. I make up words We're, sometimes. You know what? I think genuineness is actually a word. You're but, good to go. But I think there's a level there – that makes it more effective when I've done this for myself. This is how I feel I've become better. So now let's use that as an example for, for you. Right. I, I, I like that. Yeah, I mean, it's not fun. I mean, it's really not. Like, I think when I set out to write this book that I was like the change deviant of change deviants. But I'm wrong. I was wrong. And that's it, okay. Is it not fun because it's hard? Or is it not fun because you've had to learn what you don't know? It's not fun because we can all fundamentally agree that change is hard. And changing our behaviors isn't easy. It's really not. And it's, you know, Neil Patterson always says, and I love this quote, people fear change more than they do disaster. And there's a lot of feelings. There's a lot of feelings that we all encounter when we're wanting to pursue a meaningful life change. And it's, it's just easier to keep doing what we've always done, right? It's like autopilot mode, but we have to engage with emotions that are tricky. It's, I feel disoriented. I feel completely out of control. I don't know what tomorrow looks like. Like those are really scary emotions. And I think that's why we don't change because encountering those feelings and rumbling with them and being able to say, okay, this is normal. Like it's normal to feel this way for a while. But now like I have to push through those emotions to get to the change that I want. And that's not easy. And so when I tell you that it's hard, I think it's because I've had change and I have been like duking it out, right? And there are days where I'm like, what was I thinking when I decided to write this book? This is absolutely crazy. Like, I'm just going to give everyone their money back. It's going to be fine. Like, I can't do this. This is really hard. Being an author's hard and being a speaker's hard. Is anyone going to listen to me? Does anybody find me relevant? Like getting there and overcoming that is hard. You just talked about a lot of self-doubt, mm-hmm. which I think everyone can relate to, especially when you're challenging yourself to make great change. You also just said something about it's not fun. And in my mind, again, sorry. No, tell me. All entrepreneurs are do- having fun. They're doing things they want to do. And and that's just in my head, my definition. And 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 I don't want to say that people don't work hard. I work hard. Right. I know everyone, we, you and I work out of a co-working space, so there's we're surrounded by other entrepreneurs. But are, are you still having fun? I mean, you've made the choice to do these things. And we talked about how we 
we had those moments of we don't we were living other people's lives yeah. or living for other people however you want to define that and so we made change to do something else yes so are you having fun do you enjoy what you do is the changing Liesl, mm-hmm. are you happy with her? So this is what I will tell you. One thing, and I am going to fully answer your question, but one of the other I know, that things. Was a I know. No, it was good, though. Question. It was good, but I want to make sure I, I come back to it. But I think I'm going to arrive with it going this direction. So the other thing about change deviance is that they have accepted that change is an inevitable part of growth. It's a fundamental principle, and they stand on that. And I would venture to say that if we aren't reevaluating our lives every couple of years, like the change that we want for our lives or the vision for our lives changes based on where we're at, right? And Liesl three years ago wanted to leave Cerner and open an inn. And that was what I wanted to do. And I aligned my priorities to make that change happen, right? But now, Liesl is in the place. I like how I refer to myself in third person. It feels less vulnerable, right? There's something is about there a microphone about, that makes like, that happen, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I'm going to own it. I'm going to be vulnerable about it. So three years ago, that is what I wanted for my life, aligned priorities and made it happen. But now I'm in the place of I'm doing all the work at the Browning. And I burnt myself out. Like I burnt myself out there. And I didn't allow people to come in my space and co-create. And that was a mistake that I made. And I'm realizing that I love that place and I want to keep doing it. But I also love it just as much when there are two amazing ladies doing breakfast service and cleaning rooms. And I still get joy from what I'm doing there. But I had to realign my priorities and understanding that what brought me joy two years ago, cleaning that place and cooking breakfast, it was legit. I loved it, right? But what got me here won't get me there, right? So if I am a change deviant, I am constantly reevaluating my life, my priorities, and my vision for my life shifts. And it should shift. If I'm growing, I know you're like a little skeptical, though. No, no I, I like. No, I like. I, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask the one part of the question again. Okay. Are you happy, and are you having fun? So this last year, I was not happy, and I was not having fun. But a big part of that is because I went right back into my default mechanism. My default setting is that. I take on everything. I help everybody. I cook, I clean, I write a book, I do all the things. Like that's me as a person. Like I've defined, and it's not me as a person, but I've defined myself that way. And I've had to reprogram myself to be able to say that does not bring you joy. And you have to critically think about and evaluate your priorities. And so, yeah, I feel like this is this last two weeks is probably the first time delegating some of these things over that I've started to feel alive again. 
And I think that's important that we all do that. Like we reevaluate every every couple of years. I mean, there's not even a benchmark, right? But it's when you start to see the warning signs that you're not content, that you dread doing things most of the time, that you're not present. And when you start to see those warning signs, we have to ask ourselves some pretty critical questions of, is there a change I need to make? When you are, when you're asking those questions of yourself, when you're creating that vision of future of, of a setting, goal setting, who are some people, I guess, that you look to? Do you have, do you have some, some people that you, that you look to and you think, I want to emulate that or I want to emulate the way they did that? Mm-hmm. So I would say right now it's my deviance. Like right now. How big now, is that list? Like give us a little. Uh, don't give us all the names because I, I I like a little surprise. Okay. And I, so when I get the book, I want to be surprised. So but like, don't, how many how people many... am I interviewing, or how many people no. are deviants? Okay. Yeah. How many? How many? Because because your chapters are basically it's a chapter per deviant, right? Well, interestingly enough, so that's how I set out to write the book, and then as I'm going through these interviews, I'm realizing that I've shifted the focus to be on behaviors. Like that. So every chapter will have a behavior that's critical for embracing a meaningful life change. And then what we do is, what we do, what I do, is I'm going to align stories from each of those deviants that support that behavior. And I want the focus to not be on people necessarily. I want it to be on how do we embrace these behaviors that are most important for change? And the way that you and I are going to be able to do that, picking up this book and reading it, is getting examples from different deviants, but supporting that behavior. So that's, I didn't answer your question again. I do that. I wonder. It's okay. I'm going to come back to it. Okay, go back to well, it. And I, but I think, that's, I think that's a good point because I asked that question with, from, from my observation of early on in your process where you, had, you were doing chapters based on people. But I'm, but I'm curious. So, I mean, are, are we going to meet a lot of people through this book? You are going to meet about eight people through this book. But there are several interviews that, that are occurring based on that one individual. So like Neil, I interviewed about 15, 12 at this point in time. So you're going to meet these individuals through this book, yes. But there are multiple interviews that have really helped construct who they are as a change deviant. Awesome. Okay, a few questions here as we wrap this up because I want, I like to sometimes be cognizant of the listener's time. Mm, okay. Everyone's We can do that. Yeah. You mean we can't just keep talking forever? Uh, look, uh, look, if I if if people would allow me to do that, I would. I know. We'd probably lose people's attention yeah. though, right? When will this book be a reality? If people if you want to see it, you I know you have kind of a published date goal. Um, and we didn't really dig into the, the, the publishing format that you're doing, which is really interesting to me, but maybe we might come back some other time and, we should. and do that because that's interesting. But so when, when um, are you expecting this book to be published? So Nick, here's what I'm going to tell you. I had a very clear date when I set out to write this book and it was November of this year. And as I talk to all of these different amazing publishers who give me all kinds of advice, I recognize that that timeline is rushed. 
And I've gotten a lot of feedback about making sure that I'm doing my due diligence around the chapters. And I I don't want to get something out there just to get it out there, right? So goal is by November 2020, this book will be released. Now, I haven't picked a publisher yet. I've been talking to a variety of different publishers, and they all have different processes. And like some of them are, you're done with this manuscript in three months. Wow. That's that's a deadline. Now, now as a former newspaper guy, I love deadlines. Like there, uh, yes, there is no know, way to make me work than it. giving me a hard like deadline. Yes. If people want to follow along on the journey, if people want to, you know, keep up to date, and I know sometimes you you do give updates and you tell little mini stories as you do your interviews, how can they follow along? No, great. So I am on social, Facebook and Instagram, Liesel Hayes. Well, let's spell it out for us. Okay, I'm going to spell it out for you. It's L-I-E-S-L, and then it's dot Hayes, H-A-Y-S. All right. Well, people can find you. I'm going to I'm going to put you on the spot one more time. Go. Some advice to people who have, have, you know, hopefully we've done a little bit of good and we've kind of talked about change. And if people want to start making some changes, if they want to to think about being their own deviant, give us give us a couple tips. So I think that foundationally, the most important thing that you do is assess your why for change. And what I mean by that is you need to, ha- to ask yourself the hard questions. Are you seeing the warning signs that a change is necessary in your life? And we talked about that at the end of the day. Do you dread most things? Do you, are you not present in your life? And if you can say yes to those things, it's it's time to start asking yourself the hard questions and figuring out what you want for your life. That's the starting point, right? Because if we can't do that, then it doesn't matter how many behaviors we adopt. Like we foundationally have to know why. We have to assess and figure out in our lives if we're happy, if a change is necessary. Awesome. Well, Liesl Hayes, thank you very much for coming on the show. Well, Nick, thank you for having me. And I wish you continued success and good luck with the book. Thank you. Jason, our episode is sponsored by Shred Casey. Shred Casey. Hey, I've tried not to make the last few talks about Shred about me. But I'm going to bring it back to me. Honestly, I'm so amazed that you kept it away from me for that long. <laughs> so we know that I've been I've been trying to lose some weight, been trying to get fit again. I had a little you know little setback, a little little stumble as I try this because I, I I broke my arm around Christmas time and I've been trying to come back. I've been holding steady about 35 pounds lost since January one. I'm still feeling good. Hey, steady is good. Steady, steady is good. After you've lost 35, steady is steady's all right. Steady's all right. But I'm trying to get to the point where I can I can use my arms to lift weights again. Big milestone. Are you ready for this one? Yes, sir. I graduated from a four pound dumbbell to a seven pound dumbbell. My arm, it be healing. Nick Park, a big band, big band. <laughs> I, 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 I sent Ryan, the good owner and proprietor there at Shred KC, I, I sent him a text and said, I, I'm, almost, I'm almost ready for the weightlifting show now. All right. Well, I, um, when you get on the weightlifting show, 
you you just let me know because I will listen to that and and write down words and make fun of you for that. It'll be fantastic. Well, here's the thing. Here's the reason I bring this up is because I sent that to Ryan and Ryan Ryan laughed at me, but you know he should have. But he's been great about this. You know, I am not not a physically fit guy. I ha- I've been sitting on my duff for 20 years. I broke my arm, been trying to come back, but he's still been really supportive. And and even though he looks as intimidating and big as he is, he's been he has been great to work with. And that's the kind of people and the trainers you see at Shred KC. They will they will support you and motivate you no matter what style your body is and how you want to want to go about it. And honestly, that uh, the the judgment free meet you where you are stuff is is the kind of thing that is really a good foundation for success because you get the accountability. But you get it in a way that is helpful and supportive, and that's pretty good stuff. Well, and let's face it. The real reason most of us don't get back into shape, don't go to the gym and do those things. Is because we like cheese fries? Well, that too. <laughs> Self-shame. We're intimidated. We don't want somebody who is already there to look down on us and judge us because we're not there anymore. We aren't what we used to be, or we aren't what we want to be. And so to find people that are supportive and helpful, that's a big thing. So what we're saying is, if you're look, looking to get fit, you should go see our good friends, Trey KC. Tell them Jason Nixon.